Okay. So based on your questions, you may have wondered, why am I addressing the essence or character of God, the attributes of God? And the answer is so many of your questions cannot be answered well unless you have a really good understanding of who and what God is. And so I have some visual aids here. I've taught this same uh, information to children. And I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but what I want you to have is something that you can take home to use with your children or your grandchildren. Yes, ma'am? I forgot a very important point. If each one of you will take out your bulletin things, uh, we've got a summary with some of the Bible verses for each speaker. So if you want to take notes or you'll have this with you later on. Excuse me. Not a problem. So I've, I've got limited time, and so I'm not going to go through all the verses that are associated with these characteristics of God, but you have them in hand. And not to be presumptuous, but if you want my notes later, I have a sign-up sheet over here where I can email them to you, and that way I'm not making bukus of copies. Okay. That being said, there are 11 attributes of God that I want to cover this morning. And the first thing that I want to address is the Trinity. All right, so here's my little symbol for the Trinity. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, and they are co-eternal. So Jesus Christ has always existed, and that was one of the questions. You know, is Jesus found in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament? The answer is absolutely. And all three make up the Trinity. All right. Now, the first thing, second thing I want to talk about is the holiness of God. I like to think of the holiness of God as being two parts. His perfect righteousness. Make sure I've got this going the right way for you guys. Is that the right way? Okay. And his perfect justice. All right. These two things combined, combined the, form the holiness of God. God's righteousness is his absolute perfect standard. It is what judges your thoughts, your words, your deeds. God is perfect. It's his goodness. He is absolutely perfect righteousness. All right, you combine that with God's perfect justice. He's absolutely fair in all that he does. So what the righteousness of God demands, the justice of God executes. So this is the principle, and this is it in action. So when you... Look at that. God's justice will either execute discipline or blessing, depending on what his righteousness demands. That is the holiness of God. All right. So then we've got, oh, that brings me to a question. The question was, why are Christians perceived as being judgmental? And the answer is, because we are. <laughs> we are very judgmental. Um, are we to judge? That was the other, that was a two-parter. We are to be discerning. Yes, we are not to be judging others. Only perfect God in his perfect justice can be judge. We don't know all the circumstances. We don't know one's heart. We don't know everything that goes around a situation. So the expression that I like to use is guard the justice of God. Don't usurp his place as judge and take it upon yourself. Um, 
You can judge people's sin. That's one thing that we do. But we also fall into the trap of judging people's works. And we say, hmm, I don't know if they're a Christian. I haven't seen them doing X, Y, Z. But ladies, I would caution you, you don't see those prayers that are being said in the middle of the night. You don't see that woman as she's taking care of her sick child. You don't see that kind deed that is done when nobody's looking. We are ambassadors for Christ all the time. And I would say we need to reserve our judgment. Um, <clears throat> that also is why we can confess our sins to the Lord, 1 John 1, 9, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is justified in forgiving our sins because of, because of what Christ did on the cross. That, that verse always kind of confused me until I realized that's why he's just. It's not because he's judging our sins. Our sins were judged at the cross. But he is justified in forgiving us because of what Christ did. All right. Now, we've got the three O's. Omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence. Omni means all. So omni, if you break down the word omniscience, omniscience, all knowledge, is the first one. I wanted so badly to draw an atom on here because of science, but I thought that is just too geeky for words. So I went with the owl. All knowledge, all wisdom belongs to God. And what you need to know about the omniscience of God is that it transcends space and time. God knows everything, always has known everything. He doesn't know things in a sequence of events. He knows all the knowable all at one time. And I know that's a whole lot to get your minds around, um, but that is who he is. Not only does he know what has happened in the past, present, and future, he knows all the contingencies. He knows what would have happened if you had decided to do something differently. It's mind-boggling when you start thinking about it, but that is how great our God is. When we talk about, which is also why we need to guard the justice of God, his omnipotence, omnipotent, omnipowerful. So here's my lightning bolt, it's the best I could do. So God is able to do infinitely all things, but he doesn't always do everything he can because he doesn't do anything that's contrary to the rest of his character. He will never make right wrong. He will never do anything outside the bounds of his character, but he is able to do infinitely all things. If you look at creation, you get a picture of that. He spoke creation into existence. It's pretty amazing. All right, omnipresence, and I couldn't come up with one for this at all. So, God is present, eternal. Well, we're getting to that one. We're getting to that one. <laughs> we'll get to him being eternal. Um, but he's omnipresent. He has always been. He always will be eternal. Um, but this is how he is able to indwell every believer. All three members of the Trinity indwell you. And he can do this because he is omnipresent, past, present, and future. All right. 
immutability. God is unchanging. And the best I could do is come up with it was a rock. Now, we know if we leave this rock out in the elements, eventually it's going to erode. So it's not a perfect analogy. But for our purposes, that's what we've got. Uh, it means God never changes. That's what immutable means. He never changes. And the question was, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? And the answer is absolutely. He doesn't change. History changes, but God is consistent throughout history. His character never changes. Some of the questions were, um, do, is God fickled? Because sometimes he acts in one way and sometimes he acts in another. But when you realize that he's unchanging and you take into consideration all these other characteristics, no, God is not fickle. And he always operates out of his justice and his righteousness, his omnipotence, his om omniscience, etc., etc. So when we look at stories in the Bible and we go, gosh, does that seem fair? Go back to these. Because he is. He's perfect in all those things. The inconsistency is never on God's part. Um, we it's, it's, one of the questions was, are the policies seeming, are seemingly different in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Well, that's because the Old Testament, they were under the law. We are not under the law anymore. And so you have to be really careful when you start taking... <coughs> Old Testament stories and trying to apply them in the church age. Be, be careful how you do that. Application is there, but it may not be a direct correlation. And I think Eric has been talking about that in, in our services as well. All right. Veracity. This is supposed to be God's word. Okay. Absolute truth. God's word is absolutely true. And I know people will say, oh, but it looks like this contradicts that. If you go back to the original languages and you're studying God's word, there are no contradictions. God's word is absolutely true. He is absolutely true. Everything he says, you can count on. All right. Today in particular, it's especially wonderful to realize that God is sovereign. It's my little crown, All right? <laughs> I tried to find one of these at the house, and all I could find was a tiara. And I didn't think that that would be really appropriate for today. So we've got, got, we got the crown. Um, he is king of kings, lord of lords. And when we woke up this morning and heard what was going on in our world, you know, our first reaction might be to be fearful, worried, anxious, and we are to be none of those. Our father is fully in control of everything that's going on. Jesus Christ alone controls history. And ladies, that's another reason it's so important to camp on these things because when we do encounter these things, we can know who our God is. And you go back and you look at these and you go, I can relax, I can rest, I know he's got it. All right, eternal life. Now this is the perfect circle, all right? No beginning. No end. The Alpha and the Omega. God has no beginning and no end. He's eternal. And what is so amazing is that at salvation, we are given eternal life. An eternal life spent with God. And it starts now. And it took me a long time to figure that out, too. Eternal life doesn't start when you go to heaven. 
Your eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. It's pretty amazing. All right. Now, for the characteristics we all like to think about. Nobody really likes thinking about the justice of God unless it's in their favor. Grace. I couldn't think of a better picture of grace than the cross. Now, we give a quick definition of grace in saying that it is unmerited favor. But let me expand on that just a little bit. It is unmerited favor based on the work that Christ did on the cross. It's not based on our work. It's not anything we can do, earn, deserve. It is based on what Christ did. It is all that God is free to do for us based on the cross. That is what grace is. So we, we love getting God's grace. But if you think about it, unbelievers get his grace as well. By grace you are saved through faith. So unbelievers are shown grace as well. Um, and that leads us to his love. God is love. Perfect love. It's not maudlin. It's not sentimental love. It's based on his character. It's based on all these other characteristics. It's not based on what you do. You can't get less of God's love because you messed up. You don't get more of God's love because what you do. You get his love regardless. And as a believer, you are part of his family. And don't don't ever take that for granted. It's perfect love. This is love while we were yet sinners. So unbelievers get his love as well. All right. So that brings me to this last question. And it was, when infants and small children die and those that are severely mentally challenged, do they go straight to heaven? And the answer is yes. Because you've got God's love his grace, his justice, his righteousness, they all meet at the cross. And a child who, is, who dies before they have God consciousness, you take into account all of that, and you know our perfect loving God is going to care for that child. He is condemned at birth because he has a sin nature. And condemnation must precede salvation. So God has set up the potential for that child to be saved, right? Right from the beginning. And where I base my, this on is 2 Samuel 12. And it's the story of how King David is told that his child with Bathsheba is going to die. And for seven days, um, David fasts, he prays, he pleads with God, and yet the child dies. And at that point, he quits mourning and fasting, gets up, cleans himself up, and goes about his business. And his servants ask, why? Why aren't you mourning now? And he makes the statement. He says, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. And it's very clear he knew that he would be with his child one day. And I want all of you to take comfort in that. Um, can do it personally, but to me it also goes to a grander scale. We think of children around the world that die at a very young age. I believe they're in heaven. I believe all nations of the world will be represented in heaven because of this very principle right here. So, as our world seems to be falling apart, you can rest because of who and what God is. 
Um, we can depend on him to care for us. We can depend on him in all circumstances. All right, so now Gail is going to tell us about what separates us from this mighty, amazing God.